Welcome back, everybody. Oh, great to have Adrian Broadus back in the house. Great to be back, Steve. Hey, let me see that left hand here. That left arm. Yes, there it is. A wedding band. That's right. A wedding band. He is a married man, ladies and gentlemen. He hasn't been on the air in two weeks. And he's back now. And I can honestly say he took the plunge. He uh, said, I do. And I've been waiting on reviewing the wedding since he's been here. So oh, really? I am so excited that you are back. Uh, love the fact that we get to reunite for the first time in 2023 here on the sixth day of January. That is phenomenal. You look good. You look different. I, I can't explain it. There's just like a, um, folks, there's a certain glow to Adrian today. It's the glow of being well-rested. It's the glow of being away from this place for two weeks. It is the glow of now being a married man and dealing with married problems like you had earlier today. That's exactly right. Uh, welcome back from my uh, mini-moon, I should say, Steve. And the perfect welcoming uh, party was having to go home to purchasing a new water heater. So, uh, hey, but that, that's first major purchase. Shout out to my wife, Alyssa. Crazy saying wife here on this radio show. But, Love that. Uh, I'm happy to be back here. 2023 is going to be the best year yet. It's the LeBron year, Steve. So I feel great. This is uh, I'm ready to go here on Sports Talk today. Okay, you're calling it the LeBron year. I'm calling it the Jordan year. Can we call it maybe like the Draymond Green year too? No, no that's like, there's there's got to be certain uh, limits, right, to our craziness. Has to be certain limits to our craziness. That's right. Um. Well, listen. By the way, did you have a leaky water heater or did it just not heat? Yeah, leaky water heater. Oh, so no. now with carpet damage? No, thank goodness. No carpet. I, I was able to detect it right when we came home. Like I, we had a lot of people last week over the course of uh, our wedding week. Yes, uh, it was crazy. It was uh, nonstop busyness all week, and we had we were hosting like between anywhere between like five to seven people on a day to day basis. So oh. uh, we had a lot of people out there at our house, and uh, yeah, as a result. The uh, water heater broke, so yeah, mm. there we go. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm happy you guys got that fixed. That's most important uh, than anything else. How has the mini moon, the mini moon, been? How was that? It was nice. We got a chance to go to Cloudcroft after everybody uh, left town, so we kind of waited a little bit. We didn't worry. We weren't out of uh, here right away on January 1st. Uh, got married last Saturday. Got a chance to stay here in El Paso for a couple days, and then went off to Cloudcroft. We ended up coming back due to like snow. Due also Alyssa got really sick so um all of my kind of close family got sick i did not get sick fortunately steve no covid uh kind of all flu or strep throat or sore throat kind of thing and i think it was just a draining week last week so i'm um, happy that we're all re- well rested and we're back and ready to go that's all that matters uh as far as the wedding itself folks let me tell you first off packed house uh on saturday and it was a beautiful wedding i love the uh the priest sense of humor Funny, good. Uh, he kept everybody. He kept everybody kind of uh, loose, which was important. Adrian wasn't worried, um, and it was your. You know, it was very. How can I put this? This was a a Catholic mass. You did communion. You had that. Everybody that was there was excited about it. But I think that really, like when the wedding was ending at the hour fifteen minute mark of the service. That's when people were ready to explode. They were excited. They started clapping for you, screaming, yelling. And you were so happy as you went down the aisle. You 
first off, you you did the ceremonial wedding kiss like you were supposed to when they asked for it. That was great. But then as you were going down the aisle, you planted another one on Alyssa on your way out as you were leaving. That was like a uh, like like a bonus kiss. Okay, I like how you're giving great play-by-play here, Steve. By the way, you took the best photo, I think, uh, and it's now become Alyssa's profile pic on Facebook. You t- you took the best picture at the actual we- uh, wedding ceremony at the Mass. Uh, and, yeah, I threw in the late kiss there. So just a, just a little curveball for everybody out there. I like it. It's the confidence. It's what I like about you. Quiet confidence is the best way to put it. But uh, you were having fun. The reception was great. Love that as well. Um, Everybody was there having a good time. Uh, It was just funny, folks, because as we were leaving, because it was it was New Year's Eve. It was getting a little late for us. It's not past our uh, past our our bedtime. It's just the way it is because we're getting old. Who walks in as we're leaving? Sal and his wife. I, it was it was like a shift change, Adrian. He he did the UTEP game that night, the UTEP broadcast, and he arrived as we were heading out. Yeah, it was like the handing of a baton right there. I, I got a chance to say bye to you and Karen, yep. and then got to say hi to Sal and Selma right after that. But uh, I, I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate everybody uh, for going out. It was just a great event, and um, you know, it was it was a party. We we probably ended our party uh, unofficially at three forty five a.m. I loved it. And you know what else I love? 3.45 a.m.? Yes. Seriously, that's when it ended? Yes. Wow. We left We left St. Rogers by probably uh, 12.30 or 1. But it didn't go, it didn't end until almost 4 in the morning. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, uh, no, it's a heck of a night. Heck of a night. That's, that's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. So good for you. I was long gone, long asleep when you guys are wrapping things up. So that's, uh, that's perfect. Um, all I can tell you is this. Really happy for you both. Thought everything was nice and had a lot of people, a lot of listeners want to know over the last um, you know week or so how the wedding was. A lot of requests. Well, I appreciate everybody asking and being interested in the wedding. Uh, it went great. It was a 10 out of 10. Uh, got great response from it after the fact as well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for 2023. This is going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. I'm with you on that one. Now, when will the uh, the second honeymoon be? Oh, that's a great question. So we're still tr- uh, trying, to, uh, trying to figure that out too. But we want to do something pretty big. Probably not this year. Probably next year. Do you know what you're going to do like do you know where you want to we go we would love to do something like a cruise uh a lot of our friends you've taken cruise uh before. just came back from one that's exactly. right exactly uh i want i definitely want to do something like that so that's definitely in our mind good we'd like to do maybe like an italy situation Ooh, if that could be possible look at you uh, so yeah let's aim high let's aim high for this. europe would be terrific for the honeymoon yes love that all right very nice oh and we had to get her moved in she wasn't moved into the house so all week long we've been moving her in so can we uh stress to our listeners that the two of you did this by the book meaning you refused to live together before the wedding how difficult was that yeah, great question. Uh, it was very difficult, and uh, I would say, like, when you buy a house together, you, the, the assumption is, hey, you're just going to start living together. And we've been we've purchased or we purchased the house back in what May, and we hadn't lived with each other until now. So yeah, it was definitely weird. She was there almost every day. You just had to say goodbye, and now not having to say goodbye is really nice. Does it feel that's that's, that's a wonderful thing? Does it feel different now that you get to actually? Uh, you know, have each other in the house together instead of uh, the way it was before? Definitely different. Like, I I don't have my... uh I, I guess my evenings anymore to my uh, to myself, but it, for all the good reasons, right? Like I used to kind of feel like the house was very empty and lonely, but now I've got her, I got the dog as well. So yeah, I mean, it went from a one to now three. How much 
sports do you think, like, how much less will you watch? Because she's not a sports fan. Um, yeah, yeah. And my wife's not a sports <laughs> fan either. So the truth is, is that, when, especially as newlyweds, you want to spend as much time together at night. You want to do a lot of things together. Um, you know, you're, you guys just got married. You realize that your, your sports viewing might take a hit. Uh, for a while, as the two of you get to know each other a little bit more, and you realize that she's just not into sports like you are. Right. I mean, I was trying to rewatch UTEP Rice. I mean, here's the perfect example of this. Uh, I was trying to wa- rewatch it like the next morning. I was so like, I was so dumbfounded as to how UTEP loses an overtime game against Rice, and I had to know how it happened. Well, uh, I had to watch it yesterday. It just took that long. I, I couldn't get the sports watching in as I usually do, uh, but that's all right. And yes. I got a chance to replay it. I got a chance to make my notes, to watch it all, and uh, was very, very disappointed in the minors, and uh, we're all good. But I had to do a lot of catching up, and I feel like I'm going to have to do a lot of catching up all year long, but thankfully we have streaming services that will do a lot of replays for sports. The minors haven't won a game since you were on the air. I know. You realize Steve, that, right? Yeah, yeah it, it's very disappointing. I mean, the last two games, losing the way that they did against UAB, they dominated that game for, what, 25-plus minutes in that's that right. game, and then they lose it in the end. You you could point at the free throws in that game, and that's probably where you're going to end up po- uh, pointing your finger of blame. Mm. But, Rice, you don't lose that game at home. You don't uh, struggle the way that they did. That was just a frustrating game all around. It was, it was very emotional. And then the Miners, again, couldn't hit late-game free throws to try to win the game. I know it. Well, we'll have plenty of time to talk UTEP basketball during the show today. They're playing tomorrow against uh, Louisiana Tech in Ruston. They've already boarded the flight. They're in there. I think they're probably on their way if they haven't landed yet. They're they're close to it. So we'll do that. We're going to talk a little Louisiana Tech later this hour. We've got our insider, Ben Carlisle, from um, I, I believe it's Bleed Tech Blue. He's going to join us to give us a lowdown on uh, what to expect the second time around for UTEP and Law Tech. The Foss will join us in our 5 o'clock hour. We have a huge announcement in our 5 o'clock hour regarding this show. In fact, I will go on a limb and say this could be the biggest announcement Sports Talk has had in years. Maybe since we became ESPN Radio affiliates and we uh, joined ESPN back in December of 2010. That could be the last time we had an announcement like this scope. This is a big one, folks. This is a big one. So we're going to announce that coming up in our 5 o'clock hour when the Foss joins us. And we're on until 7. So how nice is it? You come back for the full three-hour extravaganza. I'm so ready, Steve. I was fired up. There were so many different things I wanted to talk about over this pa- these past two weeks. And uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for three hours. Let's do it. We've got a uh, college football championship game on Monday, which is gonna our coverage is going to start at 5 o'clock. And, of course, our sponsors, Palo Verde Homes and Wind Supply of El Paso. Hey, Wind Supply El Paso and Palo Verde, they've been there the whole way since we started the Bulls. And now it gets to culminate with a game I'm really excited about. Uh, that's going to be TCU and Georgia. Yeah, David versus Goliath in this one. I mean, Max Duggan, can he continue it with the Horn Frogs defense that has been uh, so fiery and how they uh, you know, were able to uh, stave off a really, really good Michigan team who, who had a nice, valiant comeback in that one. Georgia, they were lucky to squeeze out that victory against Ohio State. Let's see if they can, uh, you know, luck will strike twice with that team and they'll be college football champions yet again. You ready to take our first phone call of the show? Yes. Yes, let's do it. Gator Richard going to get us started here, 14 past the hour on Sports Talk. What's up, Richard? Hey, congratulations. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. I think George is going to take it kind of with uh, with ease, but it, it should be a good game. 
listen, if you're an SEC fan like you are, I would be shocked if you didn't pick Georgia. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, I learned a long time ago not to really root, root as in, like, bet money on uh, – on other SEC teams besides the one that you usually go for. That's good advice. I like that. All the way back to Peyton Manning days, you know, Peyton Manning when his whole career couldn't beat Florida once. (laughs) Beautiful, right? (laughs) Anyhow, yeah, hairball, thinking that he was going to coast past, uh, you know, right into the championship, and same with uh, Ohio. Beautiful. I love it when they lose and then they they just they just have to talk to themselves, you know, another off season wondering what happened. I mean how many how many times has Hairball lost in in these championship games or going going to a, a final four? Dude, I love it when you like go into four. your stream when you go into your stream of consciousness and next thing you know, like you just get completely di- diverted and you start throwing out names like Hairball and before you're, you're just going on that wild path. That's true. I, I, I don't even know why you called yet. It's great. You just start talking and it doesn't stop. How many times has he lost? Every game, every championship game, every big game that he has to win, choke. He's, he's like poster boy for choke artist. Let him go to the NFL. Who cares? All right. There you go. I like that. What else you got? Well, you know, I'm I'm uh I'm excited for my Jaguars. I mean, I've been a Jaguar fan forever. You know, the last couple of weeks, it's like, you know, Thornton Mellon pulling off a triple Lindy to win the swim meet, you know, to dive meet. You know what I mean? I like that reference. Very nice. That is that is good. Um, hey, of course Adrian has no idea who no Thornton clue. Mellon is. Well, he's never no seen clue. he's never seen uh, back to school, so no, that's uh, that's not the case. Yeah. No. It's a it's a Rodney Dangerfield movie. Um and uh, he was uh he gets he, no respect. That's right. And Rodney does this great back dive at the very end. That's one of the funniest parts of the in, in movie history. That is right there. That's that's good. I like that. Triple Lindy. The Triple Lindy. You got it. You got it. All right, Steve. Well, you have a good weekend, sir, and uh, congratulations again, Adrian. Appreciate it, man. Good job, Richard. Thanks for calling. All right, Ben Carlisle coming up. We'll talk a little bit about what to expect tomorrow as the Miners battle it out and try to win their first road game in the conference. And oof, I don't even know the last time they won a conference road game. We'll talk about it next right after Charlie won with this traffic update. All right, back here on Sports Talk, 20 past the hour, as we continue. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Need to say it again, though. Want to thank Angel Munoz. Want to thank UTEP Zay. Want to thank Jason Craig, who have been so great uh, while the two of us have been out over the last three weeks. Really big shout-out to all those guys. And also Sal Monta is in the mix as well. All, all our support here with 600 ESPN El Paso always does a great job. So big shout-out to all the guys. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And uh, I think that, you know, again, uh, they were terrific. It's great to be back. Great to be back with you and starting off uh, another great year of, of this radio show and getting a chance to, to deliver it for everybody on 600 ESPN El Paso. And we've got so much to talk about. In fact, excited about having our next guest back on the phone lines with us. He is Ben Carlisle, the, uh, the publisher of Bleed Tech Blue, which uh, for those of you that uh, follow Louisiana Tech Bulldogs uh, is uh, a great site, very informative. With the Miners and the Bulldogs getting ready to do battle tomorrow in college hoops, nobody better 
Good to have uh, Ben back on the program with us. Happy New Year, and uh, welcome back. How are you? Happy New Year, Steve. I've uh, been doing well. Ho- hope you're doing well yourself, and uh, thanks for having me on today. Thanks for being on. Uh, I'm excited. Excited about having you back. Excited about tomorrow's game, especially since uh, Louisiana Tech has been good as of late. They've won three of their last four since the UTEP game, and it's going to be that Saturday matinee, the afternoon showdown, uh, 1 o'clock here in El Paso tomorrow. We'll have it on 600 ESPN El Paso, but more than anything, excited to see if Louisiana Tech's home dominance continues tomorrow against UTEP. Yeah, you know, it should be a really good basketball game. I guess it you know, we could say that about the last matchup between these two teams uh, going back to December 17th when UTEP came away with that 60-55 to win. But, you know, you mentioned Louisiana Tech. They come off a big road win last night. You know, Coach Talvin Hester uh, in his first season as the head coach. Yeah, You have to hope that that win last night on the road at Rice was kind of a turning point for this team. Uh, Quandre Bullock, a, a junior guard, knocks down a big three for Tech to give him a 69-66 lead uh, with 2.9 seconds left. And Evie hits a near half-court shot to send it into overtime. And you kind of got the thought or the impression that, you know, this is kind of where we've seen Tech kind of fade uh, when, the, when they face some adversity, especially late in games. But they were able to respond, and a big part of that uh, was some of that those older guys, those veteran guys that I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Uh, with Kobe Williams, Keaston Willis, Isaiah Crawford, those guys scored 13 of the 19 points uh, in that overtime period. So it was a big road win last night for Louisiana Tech, but uh, will be a re- another really tough test on Saturday afternoon against a, a UTEP team that's really, really gritty. And Joe Golding, uh, he knows exactly who he is, and he knows exactly who he wants his program to be. Uh, they're very good at doing it. I'll tell you this much, if there's one thing I'll say about the UTEP uh, basketball team, uh, they'll play it to their style. And and Louisiana Tech likes to score. They like to get up and down the floor. They've done that just about every game with the exception of Texas Tech and UTEP. And maybe that's the secret and the formula for for Joe Golding is to to take teams out of their normal flow, bring it to a slowdown style, and make it a little more uncomfortable for them because that kind of fits right into what UTEP's trying to do. Yeah, well, I mean, you go back to that game and get at UTEP, you know, a few weeks ago. It Tech shoots 29% from the field. Uh, I think they turned the ball over 20 times. I think the biggest thing for Louisiana Tech that's kind of changed probably since that game is, you know, we, we came on you guys' show, what was it, 21 days ago, and talked a little bit about, you know, Talvin Esther wanted to establish a new culture. They were trying to install uh, some new things defensively. They were trying to play that no-middle style of defense that we see North Texas and Baylor and Texas Tech and, and some of those schools is kind of that schemes kind of gaining in popularity and ever since they've had those struggles you know on the defensive end in particular I know they didn't necessarily struggle against UTEP but they've struggled to stop teams by playing that new style so they've kind of gone back to a uh, a more generalized man-to-man defense they'll still switch one through five uh, but it feels like they've kind of become more comfortable maybe is the best way to describe it. And I, I think it's helped them out on the offensive end as well, just not having to work uh, quite as hard defensively, whether that's physically or mentally. Uh, and we've kind of seen some of the results start to pay off. I, I thought they played uh, pretty well last Saturday going back to New Year's Eve at Charlotte. That was a game they were down 14 in the second half, come all the way back to take a lead, and they ultimately fall. But uh, it's been interesting to kind of watch this Tech team throughout the year 
kind of try to involve, evolve into a contender within the conference in Talvin Hester's first season. Ben, you you referenced last game. In, in particular, you mentioned uh, the 40% shooting for uh, Louisiana Tech from two-point attempts. However, they, they shot just 16% from beyond the arc, just four made three-pointers against the Miners the last time these two teams uh, met up. Is that do, do you think that, kind of looking to tomorrow's game, is that where the difference lies for Louisiana Tech just making making more three-pointers against the Miners? Yeah, it probably does. And, I mean, you guys know how this team's been centered the last couple of years. They, they've had the ability to kind of pound the ball in the post to Kenneth Lofton Jr. Uh, at crucial moments during a game when they need a bucket. They don't have that luxury this year. and So uh, they're relying on a lot more perimeter scoring. You know, they're kind of, I guess, feeling their way through as far as Kobe Williams and Keaston Willis and Isaiah Crawford kind of stepping into that limelight and taking some of those big shots and some big moments and being the guys that are relied on to get a bucket when you need to get a bucket. They've, they've had to rely on the perimeter game. They, they shot 10 of 25 for three against Rice. Uh, they've had their moments where they've shot it really well from the perimeter. They've had their nights where they've really struggled from the perimeter like they did in El Paso a few weeks ago. So they, they got to hit open shots. And I think that's the big thing is they got to take open shots. They can't, take forced or contested three-pointers uh, that aren't necessarily in the rhythm of the offense. And I think Keaston Willis is, you know, he's probably one of the better three-point shooters in the conference, but I think he's been pressing throughout the year. And you look at the numbers and he's shooting 35% from three, and you're like, well, you know, why are you pressing? You're not playing all that terrible. But at the same time, I think he knows that he's being relied on more. And so just letting the game come to some of these guys has kind of been a little bit of an adjustment, but – there's no doubt they're going to have to shoot the ball better if they want to win this basketball game. Ben Carlisle with us here on Sports Talk as we continue from Bleed Tech Blue. Uh, you mentioned Bullock's game winner and how big that was, but really Crawford, Willis, and, and, and Williams, they've been the big three kind of carrying this team uh, scoring-wise all season long, haven't they? Yeah, they, they really have, and I think I've been really impressed with Kobe Willis. I didn't know that, you know, you see him his first three years on campus, and, you know, he was kind of relied on – being that energizer bunny on the defensive end and kind of getting you into your sets offensively. I didn't know that, you know, he had these scoring capabilities, but it, it's been impressive to watch him. And he's done it at a pretty efficient rate as well, shooting nearly, I think, 46, 47% from the field. But uh, you, you talk about Willis, you talk about Crawford. Crawford's obviously coming off that second ACL injury. Uh, you know, you go back to that game following the UTEP game. Uh, it felt like something, you know, kind of started to click for him from a confidence standpoint in that knee. He's playing more explosive. Got into some foul trouble last night against Rice and only played 21 minutes. And, you know, I would say Tech's probably uh, not necessarily too upset about that now when you look at, you know, Willis played 43 minutes in that game. Uh, I think Williams played 41 minutes. So that's a quick turnaround Thursday to Saturday, uh, especially on a road trip. But they've been relying on those three guys that, you know, the the big thing for Tech, too, is Jordan Crawford's a freshman out of Simsboro uh, that's kind of running a lot of the things at the point guard spot. He doesn't score a lot. He doesn't take a lot of shots. Uh, but he's been a real luxury in the fact that he allows Kobe Williams to take, uh, you know, I'm not going to say take possessions off, but it, it allows him to get off the ball uh, and, and catch his breath at times. And he's done a really good job as a freshman. But uh, really the big thing for Tech is they got to score the ball from the outside because, you know, outside of Kenny Hunter's 18 points last night for a post guy, they haven't had a whole lot of nights uh, where their five guys put up double-digit points. 
More with Ben as we keep things moving here on Sports Talk and talk about the big matchup tomorrow afternoon in Ruston. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you very much, Steve. Tech right now. Uh, they have uh, been very good as of late as they get ready to host uh, the Miners here tomorrow afternoon. They've had uh, wins in the last few weeks. Uh, UTSA, they hung 91 on them. You heard the aforementioned win against Rice on the road, 88-82. And really, a very tough road loss to Charlotte, Ben. Just a two-point loss, 68-66. Yeah, it's a really good Charlotte team as well. And like I said, I, I think some things started to change when they kind of went away from that no-middle defense and went back to more traditional man-to-man. They, they really struggled uh, on the defensive end of the floor, uh, you know, early in conference play and, and kind of slowing teams down. So I think that's been a, a big uh, key for Calvin Hester and his team or his staff as they've really, you know, not only tried to, you know, get a new culture in here, but get the guys believing uh, and some of the things that they're trying to preach to them, some of the things that they're trying to get across to them. And, you know, you, you look at this game with UTEP on, you know, on Saturday afternoon, the following that, uh, I think Texas even got three of the next four, you know, after this game tomorrow at, at home as well. So they're hoping to kind of put together a little bit of a hot streak uh, as we get into the middle portion of conference play. Other than Tay Hardy, no minor was in double figures in that 60-55 to win. Um, in fact, uh, Lemus, I believe, was second off the bench with eight points. And as far as the starters go, you had uh, Mario McKinney Jr. with seven, Givens with six, uh, Solomon with six, and Onyema with two. What's really interesting about that first matchup is this, Ben. The Miners were 15 of 37 from the line. That's 40.5%. And if you total up their first three conference games, they're shooting under 50% from the foul line. I wrote about this yesterday on the website because, to me, if the game is close, given UTEP struggles from the line and and their, um, I, I guess, propensity to play inside to force free throws, I wouldn't be surprised if Louisiana Tech tries to make them beat them from the line tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I remember watching that game, sitting on my couch, and I'm like, Tech has no business winning this basketball game. But, you know, UTEP couldn't get a free throw to fall, and it felt like Tech was getting closer and closer. And ultimately, they couldn't get over the hump. But, you know, you talk about free throws, and they're so big. And, you know, Louisiana Tech fans, they like to talk about free throws. Every time you miss, you know, two or three free throws, it's the reason you lost the game. But, you know, you shoot 15 of 37 in a game like that against Louisiana Tech, and you win. But at the same time, uh, at some point, it has to become a little bit of a mental battle as well, uh, just knowing that, you know, not only are you struggling at the line, but all your teammates are struggling at the line as well. And that, that'll be an interesting storyline tomorrow, especially if we get into a, you know, a late game situation, uh, you know, where, you, where whether UTEP's trying to finish the game out with a couple of free throws or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, but that, that was a wild storyline to that game a few weeks ago. Ben, uh, when it comes to this uh, Louisiana Tech team, uh, I want to reference something that you talked about, the Charlotte loss on the road. Do you feel like they kind of learned a lot from that loss and kind of translated that into the overtime win against Rice that we are talking about yesterday? Yeah, I think you could point to that. And, you know, anytime you come back from down 14 in the second half and, and you get it back to a tie game and, you know, ultimately Tech loses. But, you know, you look at some of the games, you look at that Charlotte game, you look at uh, go back to the SFA game that Tech lost at home. You could go back to the ULL game early in the year. Tech's really struggled, like in the last five minutes of basketball games, to 
put together quality offensive possessions. And I think that, you know, that, that's been a big focus for them as well. And, and when you have veterans like Kobe Williams and Keaston Willis and Isaiah Crawford, that's probably not something that you necessarily expect as a head coach. But they've had to focus on that. I thought they were better down the stretch last night uh, against Rice. They kind of put the ball in Kobe Williams' hands a little bit more often and kind of let him dictate things as far as, you know, who ends up with the ball, who ends up taking the shot. But uh, it'll be interesting because you, you mentioned that Charlotte game, and even though they did lose, uh, you could definitely point back to that one as being a game that uh, they gained a lot of confidence from. I, and just a quick follow-up from me. When you look ahead to the next two opponents for La Tech, North Texas and UAB, those are uh, two of maybe the three best teams in Conference USA right now. Um, if you're looking ahead for La Tech, does that make tomorrow's game that much more of a must-win for the Bulldogs, knowing they've got the Mean Green and the Blazers next week? Oh, there's zero doubt. I mean, anytime you got North Texas and UAB coming up on your schedule, especially with the quality uh, that the league is playing at right now. Yeah, you you got to take care of business tomorrow. That's not to, you know, take anything away from UTEP. We obviously know how good of a program they got it, you know, what they're building. But at the same time, you don't want to run into, uh, you know, staring two and three in conference play, and then you got North Texas and UAB on the horizon uh, because beating either one of those teams is, is going to be very difficult, especially going on the road uh, to Denton Wednesday night. So the you know the, the first game was a low scoring affair. What do you think we're going to see tomorrow afternoon? A game that maybe ends up more in the seventies. Do you think that's more realistic? Yeah, I, I do think it's more realistic, and I say that just because Louisiana Tech plays so much better at home, and uh, you know it's an afternoon game. I, I'd imagine there'll be a pretty decent crowd. There'll be good energy in the arena, and like I said, they they just seem to play so much better at home. But probably high sixties, low seventies, and obviously. I think if you ask either head coach, that you know they don't mind playing that that defensive style, wear you down style of basketball. But I think for Louisiana Tech to win this basketball game, they they got to play better offensively uh, than they did in the last matchup, and they got to be more efficient. Uh, you know, obviously more efficient from the floor. They got to take better shots, take care of the basketball. You can't turn the basketball over. I don't care who you're playing. You can't turn it over 20 times and expect to win. But I think it'll be a very good basketball game. I mean. I've watched some of those games. UTEP goes on the road. They kind of get robbed at UAB. Uh, they're certainly not going to have any fear when they come into Ruston tomorrow afternoon. Especially if there's only 2,700 fans to watch the game. I saw that was the attendance for the UTSA game. And, Ben, that's part of our biggest problem with this league right now. The, the attendance is god-awful. You know, the Miners are at the top of the conference, and they're averaging like 4,000 fans a game. So it just goes to show you that as good as the league is, Nobody really appreciates them as far as fan attendance. Yeah, and, and to, you know, that's a, always an interesting thing that we've discussed. You know, it feels like when the, when the calendar turns to January, uh, you know, people in the South finally realize that it's basketball season. And, you know, when Tech has its better teams, you know, you'll see 4,000, 4,500 uh, when you get into the middle of January, into February. But I think the big thing for this Tech team, if they want to see uh, an increase from a fan perspective, it's just that, they, they kind of got to earn it, I guess, is the best way to describe it. And, you know, if they want to do that, it kind of starts tomorrow. Uh, but but I'm right there with you. I mean, this is going to be a really good Conference USA basketball game. I think the conference is ranked 10th uh, in the country, according to Ken Palm. So 
uh, you're not going to get much better at the mid-major level than what we'll see tomorrow afternoon. Let's talk about what you've got on the website right now. A, a lot of football for Louisiana Tech and covering official visits for this weekend. I saw that up on the website. When is the UTEP preview going to go up? Yeah, we'll, we'll have a, we'll have the UTEP preview out first thing tomorrow morning, uh, about 5 a.m. Central Time. I'll have that out, and uh, obviously we'll cover the game tomorrow. We're covering football uh, throughout the weekend as well, and uh, really all, all things Louisiana Tech, you can find us at com. Nice job as always, Ben. Appreciate it. Look forward to plenty more conversations with you coming up this year. Thanks, fellas. Y'all have a good one. Ben Carlisle as we keep things rolling. 20 in front of 5. Back with more. Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. 46 past here on Sports Talk. Late last night, UTEP Zay found a nice little nugget for us. Way to go, Zay. I was just, you know, relaxing, enjoying my Thursday night. And the next thing you know... Zay hunted uh, the story about a 6'8 forward who had uh, been redshirting at East Carolina who now will be redshirting this year at UTEP. That's right. Transferred to the minors. Zay, I did a little digging on him. 14 points, seven, eight boards a game uh, as a uh, prep senior. What can you tell us about UTEP's latest addition? Well, he brings a lot of athleticism to this team. He's, you know... When I was reading about him, you know, they talked about these high-flying dunks that he can make. And so when I think of athleticism, I think immediately, well, he's going to be a good defender for Joe Golding. You know, um, despite his athleticism, he can shoot. He can shoot the three pretty well. So it's good that he can stretch the floor. We'll have to find out more about him. You know, there's not much on there about him. You know, he's not going to play this year. He's enrolling immediately. So he'll be with the team. This is an exciting, you know, little acquisition. You know, he was – it was – Highly recruited, you know, by by guys in the mid major, and uh, this is a big time. This is not a big time get, but this is this will this is a solid get for UTEP next year. I'm excited about it. I mean, hopefully he can score because realistically they need guys that can put the ball in the hole. That's what I'm thinking about more than anything else. But Adrian, I wasn't expecting this. This completely flew under the radar until Zay found it last night on Twitter. Yeah, this is a great find by Zay and also a great find by UTEP, right? Because you're getting more names. You're getting more guys with more size on your team for next year and the years to come, which is important. Now we know also from Joe Golding and his staff, they are recruiting year-round. They'll recruit guys who could come in uh, for January. They, They could be mid-year guys but they they might just sit out during this point this stretch and then join the team in the fall which is is exactly what we see from somebody uh, like Elijah Jones now the real interesting part as I was doing some digging on him he comes from Mount Zion Prep and I was thinking to myself man that sounds so familiar why why does it sound so familiar it's out of Baltimore it's out of the Maryland area okay well UTEP's gotten a a Baltimore kid before Kevin Callu in the past Uh, they got the San Diego State transfer who's uh, his name is escaping me right now. He joined them last year. He was also out of Baltimore, but I didn't realize this. Otis Frazier played at Mount Zion Prep. Uh, Otis Frazier was a teammate over there, so maybe UTEP is starting to make a little Mount Zion Prep uh, pipeline and a Baltimore, Maryland pipeline over there. Uh, Now we're seeing two players join UTEP from that prep school. That's interesting. That is interesting. Now, I remember Mount Zion Christian Academy years ago because I believe... Who was the big? Who was the big NBA player that played at Mount Zion Christian Academy? I, I it's escaping me. I'm not sure off the top of my uh, head. Oh, there was a there was a good one uh, back. Uh, this goes back years ago, but I was trying to remember, you know, who it was. 
because uh, they're in Durham, North Carolina, Mount Zion Christian Academy. And I know that uh, they've got a, uh, a a huge list of uh, players also that uh, have, have been out there. So I'm trying to remember. There was one player in particular who I th- I'm thinking about. Um, it wasn't Kevin Garnett. Let me think of who it might have been. Oh, it was Tracy McGrady. Nice. Okay. He played out of my Mount Zion Christian Academy. So, yeah, that was Tracy McGrady. Big name back then. So, yeah, you know, it is it is really interesting. Um, now, when UTEP could tap into St. Vincent, St. Mary High School in Akron and start bringing in players, I'll be really excited because that's where LeBron was uh, playing his high school. Yeah. Now. That would be fun. Hey, they've got uh, one Ohio connection right now in Jamal do. Sumlin, they so do. why not? So it, it seems like the Midwest is treating UTEP nicely right now. They've got products from like the Chicago, the uh, you know the Baltimore, Maryland kind of realm, and also Cleveland, Ohio, so they feel comfortable in that Midwest area. You wrote about the mine for tomorrow that they're at a crossroads in the season and they must regroup um, and and try to get a win uh, and sweep the series against Louisiana Tech. Uh, I'll ask you what I asked Zay, what I asked Jason, what I asked everybody yesterday. How do you fix the free throw problems, which probably at this point are mental more than anything else? Right, like uh, last time when I was speaking to Joe Golding, he was like, let's not make this a thing. Like, I don't want this to become a a thing with this team. And now it is a thing. It's It's a thing. It's beyond a thing. It's a mental thing. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I continue to see from UTEP's side is that they're proud of the fact that they are uh, 10th in the country in free throws attempted per game, averaging over 25 free, uh, free throw attempts a game. That doesn't mean anything unless you actually make those free throws, Steve. I was going to say, that's more of a problem than it is a good thing because if you're not shooting free throws well and you're going to the line you know, more than anybody in the country, then think about how many empty possessions you're getting. That's another frustrating part about the whole picture. Yeah, they're fifth worst in the country right now with their 60% free throw percentage right now. And when you're in the bottom group of the country in free throw percentage, well, that's a glaring weakness that other teams are going to attack. Other teams want you at the free throw line. Yep. So that number might grow for UTEP. They might be better at that free throw attempt number when it's all said and done. I don't know if their percentage actually improves. You ask how they do it. I don't know if it does. I don't know if that free throw percentage number actually improves. I looked at the media guide this year. Um, They start taking stats in the 53-54 season. If the season ended today, this would be the lowest free throw shooting percentage by a team since they started keeping this stat. Yeah, I was reading your story on this, Steve. This is historically lows right now. And last year, maybe we took all the free throw shooting UTEP had for granted. Every time Sule Boom got to the charity stripe, yep. he was automatic. Last year, they were they started off 1-3 and three in Conference USA, and everybody was wondering, how do they turn the corner? This year, starting off 1-2 and two this year. Uh, same thing. Everybody wondering, how do they turn the corner? Last year's team could rely on guys like Sule Boom, Jamal Bienemy, Keontae Kennedy. This year's team does not have that talent. So, I don't know how they turn in the corner. I'm interested. Now, here's the thing, though. If it's mental, then all it takes is having a really good game at the line, making some big shots down the stretch when you need it, and just like that, 
the team can completely turn their fortunes around at the charity stripe. Uh, yeah, I hate to point fingers, and I'll do it anyways. Uh, guys like Calvin Solomon, guys like Shamar Givens, guys like you know th- those players right there in particular really need to hit their free throws for their own self, not for anybody out there, for themselves, because they need to improve at the free throw line. Those guys always do a great job of drawing contact and attacking the hoop. They just do not do the best job as far as executing that, and that has to change if UTEP hopes to get better. Well, here's the crazy thing, okay? Shamar Givens from the line this season is 45 out of 62. He's 70. He is 73%. But it seems like, unfortunately for him, he's missed key free throws in these late stretches that have really come back to haunt him. And that's because you're right, not bad at all. 73% is fine. But, you know, it's it's also looking at conference because so far in conference, he's 12 out of 21. There's a, it's, in the, it's in three conference games. So that's the stat to really look at right now. Yeah, it's also really inopportune times, like you mentioned right there. It's it's just executing those free throws when it matters most. And unfortunately right now for UTEP, they get, they I don't know what it is, the, the deer in the headlights look whenever they're at the free throw line. Listen, in terms of these three conference games, Tay Hardy is shooting 38% from the line. Man. Five of 13. Uh, Calvin Solomon, 41%. Uh, five of, of 12. So, I mean, that's the crazy thing about it. Uh, Kevin Kalou, four of 11. I mean, it's, it's unreal. Anyway, um, you can learn more about that online. Adrian's column is terrific as well. We just have a lot of good stuff for you. One hour in the books. When we come back, hour number two, Steve Foster will join us as well. Plus that big announcement we've been telling you about. It's all coming up right here. Sports Talk and 600 ESPN El Paso. Along with Adrian Broadus, UTEP Zay, Steve Kaplowitz with you. Our thanks again to the Foss for joining us here on the program. If you just missed the big announcement we were talking about, it's official. After 27 years of, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't tried in, over these every year in 27 years. I've tried probably maybe a, I don't know, handful of times because it just was discouraging. Um, we've finally been approved by the NFL to broadcast this show from Radio Row in Glendale at the Super Bowl. Super excited about that. Man, this is so exciting for our radio station. I can't wait to head out there to Glendale and uh, experience this uh, for the big one, Steve. Now, the real interesting part about this one is Glendale is so close to so many major cities like yep. Vegas, Los Angeles. You know, you could be out there as a uh, NFL ex, NFL alum, and making the trip out for Super Bowl weekend, or you could be all across the country making this trip for this week. And it's always one of those where people, um, if they played in the NFL, if they coached in the NFL, or if they're broadcasters, media personalities, whatever, everybody will be uh, there for the big one uh, coming up in uh, in February. Here's the biggest part about this okay here's the biggest part once you're in you're in you pretty much get the opportunity to do it every year so this uh very easily could become an annual gig for this radio show and this radio station to be there uh at every super bowl year in year out and that is also something that uh, we're really excited about and the truth is steve foster has a lot to do with this he uh over the years has been credentialed with the ESPN affiliate out in San Antonio where he does his show laying down the law. And uh, that definitely, I think, uh, helped us out 
with the NFL. So we're excited about that. So our relationship with the Foss, uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, helped uh, help sway the shield on this one to, uh, to to get us in. Yeah, Foss, he knows a lot of people. He talks about, he name drops a ton on this show. Yes, he does. And uh, the fact that he name drops and knows a ton of people worked to our benefit to getting here for uh, for this credentialed event coming up in uh, February. So, uh, big shout out to Steve. Uh, chances are we will be bumming, uh, bumming um, I-, I guess, uh, lodging with friends of ours because... Unfortunately, what we did find out is that uh, hotels uh, forget the forget the nightly price. It's like a six night minimum, and that's going to be kind of interesting. So, Adrian, uh, we might be going up and uh, crashing with friends. That that could be it, which is fine with me. You know what? We're there. It's all that matters. And uh, I, I don't care where we stay as long as uh, we've got a place to broadcast each and every afternoon. As long as we're there. As long as we are in Glendale, Arizona for that week. And we might be staying in, like, Scottsdale, in, like, Phoenix, wherever. But, hey, it doesn't matter. We're, we're all going to be there for uh, Radio Row Super Bowl week, and that's all that matters. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. So it uh, should be a lot of fun, folks. Really should be a lot of fun. Bottom of the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Our phone number is 505-6009. That is 505-6009. We're right at the midway point of the program. So let's send it back to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. I'm so fascinated to see uh, if anybody signs Trevor Bauer. I, I really am because... You know, the Dodgers designated him for assignment, so they've got 10 days to either trade or just release him and eat his salary. And if that happens, then he becomes a free agent, uh, anything's possible. And there's plenty of teams that could use Trevor Bauer despite everything that he endured. So I'm so interested to see what happens there. Yeah, Steve, you also have to figure, is this a PR nightmare for a team to sign um, on board with everything going on in all of sports? It doesn't matter if it's baseball, it's every sport, and every team prioritizing things like domestic violence, sexual abuse, sexual assault, and really thinking that they don't want any part of something like that. Look at Chris Beard! That's right, there you go. Rodney Terry is your new coach for the rest of the season for the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, I thought it was a, a dream of mine. I was like, wait, 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 what's going on here? Wait, they're they're firing him? Things were trending the other way, and then they actually axe him? Wow. And Rodney Terry's the guy? I know. Wow. It's well, crazy. Let's see what happens in April. It's just absolutely crazy. Let's go to the phones right now. John, joining us next as Sports Talk continues. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, what's up, guys? Man, we think alike, because that's the first thing I thought of right now when you said that comment. Look at Chris Beard. Yeah, yeah, it's true. If uh, if something is happening that involves domestic violence, uh, that's it. You're toast. Yeah. Well, Steve, let's uh, get to what I wanted to talk about, because I want to talk about one thing and ask you a question, baseball question. Um, National Championship game Monday night. Yes. I heard Richard's call the other day. I'm very disappointed. As a fellow Gator fan, it should be to hell with Georgia 24-7-365. Um, you know what? You guys are both Florida diehards. Now, he's from the area. You're not. But I don't disagree with you. In fact, you would think that if Florida is not playing for the national championship, 
you would root against uh, a rival and, and not for another school in the SEC. But he's always been an SEC apologist uh, no matter when he calls. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, that's fine. I'm, I'm an SEC apologist too, but to a point. But the game itself, I think TCU can beat him. This kid quarterback from TCU, if you saw the Baylor game, they kept hitting him and hitting him, and he just got up, shrugged it off, and threw another touchdown. I don't know. There's some about this kid. Yeah, Max Duggan's good. He's really, really good. And Quinton Johnston is really good. So they've got terrific weapons. I think Monday is going to be spectacular. Oh, yeah, so do I. I'm, I, I can't wait. Um, the baseball question for you, Steve, that I had, Adrian, I called you about this. Uh, maybe about a month ago, Steve, when you were out on vacation. Okay. Steve, since you're now back and with all these contracts because of what happened to Devers, what, two, two, three days ago, they gave him that, like, 12-year deal for $300 million. Yep. Me as a Phil's fan, of course, I'm ecstatic they got Trey Turner, okay, for, what, 12 years, 340, I think it was, some 350. But the only thing that worries me, and with all these other contracts, look at the age these guys are getting their contracts. It's not 25, but 30, 32. So by the time they finish, they'll be in their 40s if they even get there. That's my question to you, Steve. What do you think of these contracts looking at it in the future? You think you would have done it, or are you a little worried? I'd be a lot worried, okay? I think that signing, like I think the Yankees are, are going to pay the price for the last half of that Aaron Judge contract. Once he, once he turns 35, 36, uh, you know, it'll be like Albert Pujols, the same thing. I mean, that's just, it's hard to ask elite players when they're in the back half of their 30s to keep producing and live up to that contract. So it's almost like you're, you're not even expecting them to do that. You just want to get great mileage and production out of the first half, and you'll probably live with the fact that the second half of that contract just won't live up to it. That's, that's the way I look at it. That's why the Braves have been brilliant. Look at everybody they've signed in their early to mid-20s in these long-term deals, and the Braves have locked up their entire nucleus for less than market value for, for great mm-hmm. contracts. I mean, the Braves have done it better than anybody in baseball. That That is the organization that everyone should try to model themselves after. Exactly, Steve. I'm and you know, and that's the thing about the Braves. You just said that their core nucleus is locked up for a long time. You're going to have yep. Albies there forever, right? But here's the thing about Trey Turner and 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 uh, you know Xander Bogarts and Aaron Judge. If um, the Yankees don't sign Judge, somebody else would have given him that money. If the mm-hmm. Phillies don't sign Turner, the Padres were ready to give him that money. So you almost have to do it because if you don't do it, your rival could end up doing it and beat you with him for the foreseeable future. So it's almost like I don't like it, but you don't have a choice because if you decide not to go there, your your chief opponent will. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And and the, the thing I told Adrian about a month ago, too, is I don't know how they did it, how they got Turner with all the other contracts, with Harper, with Castellanos, with Schwarber, with Wheeler having to pay him 
them all the money that they're paying, yeah, I'm glad there's no salary cap. Let's just put it like that. All right. Well said. Appreciate you, John. Thanks for the call today. 38 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Before we go to break, tell you a little story about Robin, who lives in the San Antonio area but owns a rental home here in Cielo Vista. In fact, she decided she was done with being a landlord, turned to Brian Birds and his team to sell the rental property. You know what? No problem. In very short order, Brian's industry-leading marketing found a buyer, sold it for $210,000. You know, the closing followed quickly. Now, Robin has one less thing to worry about. And it's thanks to Brian Birds of the Brian Birds Home Selling Team powered by EXP Realty. To achieve top dollar for your home just like Robin, you need to have that agent who can create an auction-like effect with buyers competing for your home and driving up the price. Exactly what Brian does for you. And so many reasons why, but I still believe the marketing process that Brian Birds has is second to none. You know, most agents don't even start marketing your home until after you sign the listing agreement. But Brian's already started that marketing process even before he meets his clients. He's gathering buyers as we speak to buy your home right away. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos. The only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home. You can call Brian Birds today online at brianbirds.com or Google Brian, B-U-R-D-S, and start packing. Talk as we continue. 48 past. Enrique has been waiting patiently on the phones. Enrique, thanks for holding. Welcome aboard. How are you today? I'm doing well, Kath. How are you? Good, Enrique. Appreciate you calling in. What's going on? Oh, first off, I want to say congratulations to your station. I just heard the great news in your announcement. Congratulations, guys. Thank you very much. We're excited about it. Super Bowl week has always been something I've wanted to cross off the uh, broadcast bucket list for uh, forever. And the opportunity to be out there in Phoenix with every major station in the country and, and a chance to talk to so many former uh, and current athletes, uh, it, it's going to be terrific. So we can't wait. I, I think so. You guys, I think you guys are going to blast. Absolutely. Listen, Cap, i got a question for you. Um, okay. I'm having a hard time understanding the seeding with the NFL and the NFC. With the Cowboys beating the, uh, the Vikings, shouldn't they have the, the tiebreaker and have a chance to get the number one seed? And how does uh, San Francisco up them in that seeding? And then if, once you get to that, I have one more question for you, please. So I was looking at the playoff tiebreakers because it is confusing. It really is. And I'm trying to understand that part myself and see how the, you know, how the tie break works. Um, especially with Minnesota, because, you know, the Cowboys are tied with Minnesota and, you know, I wonder if it goes into common opponents. Is that how it works? It's conference ranking. Conference record. So, so your conference game. So right mm. now the 49ers are nine and two in the conference, Steve. Cowboys uh, are eight and three. There you go. And then the Vikings are seven and four. So the Cowboys do have the advantage against the Vikings, but they do not have the advantage against the 49ers. Although if San Francisco loses Sunday, the Cowboys still do have a chance for that top overall seed. Yeah, I know what has to happen is the Eagles have to lose to the Giants. The Cowboys have to beat Washington, and Arizona needs to beat San Francisco. All right, that makes sense. So, looks like we're going to play the Giants. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's pretty accurate. Yes. All right. Uh, my second question for you, Cap, is uh, besides being a UTEP sitter and a UTEP fan, I also like to follow the real Aggies of Texas A&M. Okay. And 
I was looking at the, a lot of the recruits that they have from their number one recruiting class, and a lot of them are leaving this year. And, you know, they had a dismal season. They didn't go to a bowl. I don't know how Jimbo kept his job, but with the new hire with Patino, uh, I don't know what's going to happen in Aggieland. Uh, I doubt they're going to make 10 wins next year. But if that's the case, do you, do you see Patino taking over the job, or do you think with the recruits that got this year, the recruits that, that did stay from the recruiting class, the top one, do you think that Adam has a chance to pull up a miraculous season and, and Jimbo keep his job, or do you think time's running up for, Fish, for Fisher? Well, first off, they would owe him a fortune if they fired him, an absolute fortune. And Bobby Petrino, a few years back, was a really, really good name in college football. So you bring him in as a coordinator. You hope that he can, you know, do the right things offensively. And suddenly this team is back in consideration again. I mean, Jimbo was so popular at at, uh, Florida State that when he left, I mean, Texas A&M would have paid anything to get him. And now all of a sudden, you know, he can't win there. It's crazy. So I get what you're saying about losing players, but... You know, sometimes you get the right coordinators, the right staff, and Bobby Petrino could be one of those guys that, you know, maybe he knows how to put the right combination together that prior to uh, his arrival, the Aggies just didn't have it at the offensive spot. Yeah, that was the offense had a really tough season. They, they lost they did. both of their starting quarterbacks, and they had that quarterback shuffle. I, it, was, it was tough. It was tough to watch, but hopefully get the ball rolling next year and see what happens, and they get a good ball. But other than that, I'm hoping for a good minor victory this weekend and a gold minor basketball. Appreciate you, Enrique. Thanks for the call. As far as Bobby Petrino goes, were you surprised when you heard the news? Yes, uh, because he's so bad, Steve. He's had so much success. I mean, like, he's had so many stints in college football, but he's been so bad as of late. I mean, he recently took that offensive coordinator job at UNLV uh, and then takes the A&M job almost, you know, a month after the fact. Uh, I don't like any of the hires Fisher has made. I think he's trying to do what Saban did and and line it up with coaches who've uh, coached at a high level. Yep. But I don't think that works when you have those coaches involved as offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and integral coaching p- uh, parts and positions on your team. So I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like this is the sinking ship right here uh, and, and what we're seeing with Texas A&M football. I could be wrong on this, but we've been waiting for A&M to turn the corner and show some signs that they will not just be you know a national championship team, but a contender. Just show that you're a contender out there and maybe a 12-team college football playoff is exactly what Texas A&M needs. Maybe so. Um, you know what? And as far as Petrino goes, hey, you got to do something right now. Now, if you're Jimbo, it just hasn't worked, has it? So, I mean, you look at where he's been as of late. Um, he was at Missouri State the last three seasons. Prior to that, Louisville. Prior to that, Western Kentucky. So, you know, he is he's a guy that, you know, has had success, has coached in the NFL, has coached all over the place, and, you know, maybe uh, this will be the, uh, the right opportunity. He hasn't been an offensive coordinator, uh, Adrian, in 20 years. Auburn wow. 0-2 was the last time Bobby Petrino has been a coordinator. And I, I feel like 
like when he was hired to Missouri State, he was supposed to be this guy who was going to uh, win an FCS title year after year with the Bears, and they weren't really that. They, they had some successful seasons as far as records and finishes go, but they they always lost in the first round of the playoffs. So I don't know. I, I just feel like at Louisville, he was all right. He wasn't anything special, yeah. and now you just bring him in as an offensive coordinator here to try to revamp it and give some energy to an offense that lacked all of that this year. Well, listen, he, uh, right now they need everything they can get. Any possible situation. All right. Hey, we're two hours in. We got one more big hour to go. Dallas Cowboys update coming up top of the hour. And then hour three, Sports Talk, 600 ESPN El Paso. Here we go, final hour. Along with UTEP Zay, Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Looking forward to getting as many calls in in this final 60 as we can. 505-6009. That is our telephone number. A lot of good headlines. Trevor Bauer, no longer a Dodger. The Dodgers basically paid $22.5 million just to get rid of Trevor Bauer after designating him for assignment. So they'll either trade him, which probably won't happen, or just release him, which will happen, and then somebody's going to sign him. Um... You know, we've had some really good uh, texts into the program. In fact, uh, I had a great text earlier. One of our great listeners uh, texted into the show. Butch had texted, hey, you know what? There's probably five teams lining up right now to sign Trevor Bauer, and I agree with him. I think that's right. He also brought up the example of Deshaun Watson. You know, that's another thing when it comes to domestic violence. Um, You know, Deshaun Watson suspended by the league, but Cleveland not only traded for him, Look what they gave him. A ton of money to be their franchise quarterback. Chances are Chris Beard, it might take a little while. He'll get another opportunity. He will. So, I mean, you think about it. Um, You know, it's going to happen where somebody's going to take a shot with Trevor Bauer. He's just too good of a pitcher. Um, I I don't see him being blackballed. This is uh this is not Colin Kaepernick. I, I don't think that's going to end up happening when it's all said and done. I feel like for a lot of instances that we see across sports, even the NBA, which some would argue, hey, the NBA has uh, more progressive thinking and uh, does not tolerate things like this whatsoever. They had an internal problem. Well, the Boston Celtics did with their previous head coach Ime Udoka. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets were ready to sign him as their next head coach as soon as they fired yep. Steve Nash. So. Uh, they were lining up and they were ready to go to hire Ime Udoka. That didn't end up happening, but that just shows you that even when you talk about, you know, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's just uh, verbal abuse, whether it's sexual assault, uh, you know, uh, on a on a person in your workplace or somebody who you're dating, um, sports honestly forgives. And for better or for worse, uh, there is going to be another team out there that is going to want uh, Trevor Bauer. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just a matter of which team he ends up signing with. I agree with you. And and the thing with the Dodgers is this ordeal went on for um, you know a while, a couple of years. And I think that the players felt it was a distraction. Who knows if Trevor Power was even liked in the clubhouse to begin with? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But you know what? It might have been an easy call. If the players voted, they don't want to deal with it, and the Dodgers cut, uh, cut ties, and that was it. And But there is going to be a team out there that will need pitching and will say, you know what? We'll bring Trevor Power on board, and we'll let him rehabilitate with our team. 
Right, and and even think about the Dodgers front office that had to wait throughout this suspension. They were probably on the side of Major League Baseball and complying on everything. So the relationship probably soured there between Bauer and the front office of the Dodgers. So in my opinion, there was no coming back whatsoever. And now it's all up to where Trevor Bauer will end up and you know which team will end up taking a chance on him. That's true. That's one of the big stories today. Chris Beard, that was the big one yesterday. What an, uh, by the way, uh, let's just talk about this for a second. What an opportunity if you're Rodney Terry right now. I know he lost earlier in the week to K-State. A mar- it was like an NBA game. It was like, what, 120 to 111, something like that, where they just K-State could miss. But this is, this is the ultimate audition if you're Rodney Terry. You, you cannot ask for a better opportunity if you tried because he's got a team, talent-wise, that is going to probably be um, as good as any team he will ever have as a head coach and a chance to to win and earn a multi-year, multi-million dollar job that will set him up for the rest of his life. Well, it's interesting, right? Because you say that it's an opportunity that could set him up for the rest of his life. It's kind of a win-lose situation for Rodney Terry. And I'll explain my thoughts on this because, look, he has better resources than he's ever had as an acting head coach, ever, ever, you know, ever had whatsoever here at Texas. He is with five former head coaches on this staff, includes guys like Chris Ogden, who is the head coach at UT Arlington, has Bob Dunwold, who is... uh, head coach at multiple overseas teams, Steve McClain, who coached at Wyoming and coached at Illinois Chicago. So he's got so much experience with that coaching staff. He has players that he himself recruited. He has an athletic uh, department that will move mountains for him if need be. But overall, this Steve is an athletic department right now that spent $300 million on an arena that they just opened up. They spent $60 million on a practice arena that they just opened up. And because of all these things that they are investing into this men's basketball program, all these investments that they've made, they have to make sure it's the right guy. So even if Rodney Terry makes it all the way to the Final Four, Texas might still go after the splash guy, unfortunately. But if that's the case, if Rodney Terry... Texas has never been to the Final Four. So if Rodney Terry takes Texas farther than he's ever been before and they get rid of him, he's going to have a Power 5 head coaching job waiting for him. And he's going to get paid for that. Like, to me, unless Rodney tanks with this group, he's probably going to be able to parlay this into a very good head coaching position. And you know that if he tanks, he'll still be able to get a Power 5 assistant job because he was an associate head coach at Texas under Chris Beard. And he's very highly thought of as an assistant. So at worst, he gets an assistant job. Best case scenario, he lands a Texas job. But I'm disagreeing with you here. I think if he takes Texas farther than they've ever gone before, I think he gets the job. And I think I don't think he has to win the national championship to get 
a uh, you know to to get an extension and be named the permanent head coach of Texas. I I don't think he necessarily gets uh, needs to win a title, but he has to make the Final Four for them to even consider him. And if they don't make the Final Four, even if they make an Elite Eight run, even if they win the Big Twelve, it's not a guarantee for Rodney Terry to to retain that job at no, Texas. No. Uh, I would look at Jerome Tang as a perfect example. Rodney Terry could parlay this and get a, a head coaching job like Jerome Tang did after having so much success as the Baylor assistant coach well now he's having success at Kansas State but let's be honest with the Wildcats that's a bottom level power five opening that Jerome Tang capitalized on over the offseason now Rodney Terry might have those bottom level power five uh, team openings that he might apply for I don't know if it's Texas though like for me Steve I I think when you're thinking of Texas you think of how much this athletic department has spent on its coaches it screams to me a a splash hire somebody Sean Miller has a lot of success at Xavier this year maybe he leaves Xavier to be the head coach at Texas there's a lot of names out there for guys who could be candidates for this job but I mean you think about this right and you think about where they've been and the fact is um you know they lost in the third round what uh, 13 years ago they lost in the second round uh a couple times and they had i think another third round loss they've never gone past the third round of the ncaa tournament they've never been to the elite eight it's only been the sweet 16 is the farthest they've ever advanced in any in with chris with chris beard or anybody yeah i mean here's a staggering stat right there just to echo what you're saying in the last 12 years so we're talking 12 years right now uh, texas has won just five ncaa tournament games so they've been bad i mean but when you have an athletic department that's led by chris del conte the goal is to take this from bad to the top. Yep. And that jump right there is tough. But you, if you're a Texas fan, you hoped that Chris Beard could get you at that top, at that pinnacle, because he had that a national championship coaching experience when he was with Texas Tech. So uh, the standard is set through the roof right now with Texas. I get it. They have not historically won in the, in the tournament. But still, uh, if this department wants to hold themselves to that kind of standard, they're going to have to uh, hire a splash person out of the college basketball ranks. Yeah, you're 100% right. All right, let's go to the phones. Mike's joining us next as we continue 11 past here on Sports Talk. What's going on, Mike? How are you? I'm doing well, Steve. Interesting subject. Um, you're a UT alumni. I'm going to mention one name. I think he is very influential in UT athletics, Red McCombs. He did not like Charlie Strong as a football coach there. He even made comments. He would not have an African-American mm-hmm. coach the football team. <laughs> you know, and I think with Char- – I mean, it's sad with Chris Beard, but I don't, I don't think Rodney Terry is going to be the guy at the end of the day. Yeah, you know what? Could be. Could be. Could be. Uh, by the way, I was wrong about Texas basketball. I, I do want to mention that. They, they have been to the regional finals before. And back in 1990, Arkansas beat them in the regional finals 88-85. Okay? And that's, that's the, uh, the last time they've been to the regional finals since um, 1947. So they have had some. They, and they've gone to the regional semifinals, too. And they won. So... Yeah, they've had, I mean, they've been to the Elite Eight, so they've had had the opportunities to get that far. So I'm interested to see. Now, do you really think, though, that if Texas goes to the Elite Eight or the Final Four and they don't win, Rodney Terry's not offered the job? Do you really think they'll go someplace else? 
I do think so. I really do. Now, I think it also um, depends a lot on Chris Del Conte, don't you think? Because if CDC really likes Rodney and likes the way the team is with him and, and likes the, the what he's done with all the adversity, and, and, if, and if, he, if Rodney Terry is a CDC guy, then maybe Rodney does get the opportunity. Maybe interesting though. I, you know, it really I, is interesting because the, because uh, if you want, if you listen, here's the crazy thing, Mike. If you base Rodney Terry's body of work off the three years at UTEP, you're probably thinking to yourself, there is no way that he makes a deep run in the NCAA tournament because what we saw at UTEP was it was basically a 500 coach over the three years he was here. So we're probably not even going to get the water under the bridge because they. He's just not going to coach him to a Final Four or, you know, a, a title because we saw what he did here. At the end of the day, they couldn't bring the ball in. You know, when the game was on the line, they, five seconds they turned it over, you know. So I, he got a great break with Chris Beard to go coach at UT, and he may parlay it somewhere else, but I don't think it's not going to be at UT. I'll say this, though, Mike. He's got so much talent at Texas right now. Like at UTEP, he had a he had some guys. He definitely did, but can you imagine? He had he had two great ones in uh, Sule Boom and and Bryson Williams, right? Uh, can you imagine having like ten of those though? And that's kind of what he has right now. Like, just imagine where you have a team so deep with talent that you might be able to with and with a coaching staff that's got really good assistants that are veteran coaches. Maybe maybe he's got enough to work with that he can get this team over the hump because they're so talented on the court as well as off the court. Maybe there's one big carrot in this. It's the, the portal. What happens at the end of the year? If these are Chris Beers players and he's not there anymore, you know they're exiting. Yep. It's, uh... In college football, big time with A&M. Alabama, Michigan, all those guys are losing. All those schools are losing 15 to 20 players. That's true. That's true. And these are all Chris Beers players, and he's not there. It's exit stage left. Yep. Good point. Good Maybe point. We'll give it to what you tip. Hey, you never know. You never know. All right, good job. Appreciate you, Mike. Thanks for the call. Thank you. And by the way, Texas, uh, again, stand corrected, Final Four, 2003, they lost to Syracuse 95-84 in the semifinals in New Orleans. That's the, that was Travis Ford. My thanks also to Gil for texting into the show. Appreciate you, Gil. That is the uh, – I, I forget that with Texas, that they were in the Final Four uh, back 20 years ago. Yeah, they had a star-studded team, Steve. Uh, guys like P.J. Tucker, who's still in the NBA right now. Uh, they had some really phenomenal players. And one of the other uh, highlight players to mention is Royal Ivy, mm. who is an assistant coach currently right now with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, known to be somebody who's kind of like a Kevin Durant whisperer, so to speak. But Royal Ivy has been rumored to be linked to this head coaching opportunity if it opens up here this spring. TJ Ford was the big one along with uh, Ivy as you mentioned James Thomas James Thomas and how about Chris Ogden on that team yeah. 20 years ago as a reserve Yeah Terrell Ross as well this uh, Kenton Paulino another familiar name for minor fans out there I know 
I'm just disappointed that the one year Kevin Durant was a Texas Longhorn, they, never, they didn't go farther in the tournament. Yeah, me and Zay were talking about that back here. And I think may, maybe the furthest they made was like Sweet 16 or Elite 8, but that was about it. That was the peak uh, when Kevin Durant was with uh, that Texas team, I think. Yeah, um, and I think he only played, if I'm not mistaken, he only played his freshman year with yeah. the Longhorns. That That's was right. It. So, um, but, you know, once again, that was a uh, pretty talented group. Uh, you mentioned P.J. Tucker, LaMarcus Aldridge, Daniel Gibson. They've had talent. Rick Barnes was a tr- did a terrific job at Texas, t- better than anybody. Yeah, he really did. And uh, one of his lead assistants, Rodney Terry, was instrumental in recruiting a lot of those guys. So it's very interesting. Uh, Texas has produced, I think the bottom line is, they've produced the talent. They have NBA names galore. Texas having success in the postseason when it comes to men's college basketball is another thing. They just haven't had success in the tournament and maybe uh, they hired the right guy. Maybe Terry's the right guy. They, they want to get to that point, and I think that's what uh, Chris Del Conte wants with this uh, athletic department. I agree with you. I totally agree. 17 passed as we continue here on Sports Talk. 505-6009. That is our telephone number. So Texas has had history. They've been there before. So now the question is, and I think after watching what, what they saw Texas Tech do, that's one of the reasons why right now, uh, for Texas, it is national championship or bust. They didn't assemble that coaching staff and that team for Chris Beard to, uh, to, to to win one or two games in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, look at all the talent in Texas as of late. I mean, you see Texas Tech making that Cinderella-type run with Chris Beard as the head coach fall to Virginia, but then you watch Baylor dethrone Gonzaga, and that and then they rule the state of Texas. So it's real interesting to see all the different uh, teams try to step up and elevate college basketball in the Lone Star State. All right, 18 passed as we continue here on Sports Talk. Come back with more in a moment at 600 ESPN El Paso. Over these last two weeks, and big stories broke. Now you know what my life is like whenever I take vacation. You get a little taste of that, too. Uh, thoughts on the Downtown Arena Project oh, finally man. ending at Duranguito, and now what we're hearing, which is potentially another downtown spot where they could end up building the arena when it's all said and done. Yeah, now I feel like we're, we're talking politics, which is great when uh, sports mix with pol- local politics. Uh, and it, I say it's great because it's so important for the city of El Paso. It's important for us to care about topics like this, and it's important for these topics to come up and actually come up with a solution, right? Because I'm, I'm tired of talking about what-ifs. I'm tired of talking about um, this, this being held off for so long either way. And I just want funds to go somewhere to build either the stadium or go to improving places like the Abraham Chavez downtown or the, uh, the convention center. Whichever route this ends up going, I'm in favor of. Now, the the obvious one that I'm in favor of is Let's just get this done with. Like that, I don't care which route we end up going, whether it's building a downtown arena at another place, not the Duranguito area. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's some other place downtown. I think that would be my preference, A. And then B, if that if those funds do not get dispersed to a new downtown arena, I'm good with um, renovating the current establishments that we have to make those places owned by the city uh, a lot better than they currently are. Now, um, I've got a feeling just based on listening to what everybody is saying right now and just hearing you know, the talk around that uh, it's coming. It's just 
you know, my attitude is, and this is what we talked about on Wednesday's show, and we took a ton of phone calls the entire program, is, you know, why now? Why they have to wait till now? Why couldn't this have been done six, seven years ago when they were first looking to put this thing together? That, yeah, that's where my frustrations come initially, right? When, when I'm saying, let's just get this moving. Because we've been waiting, it feels like, over a decade or, you know, a better half of a decade uh, of waiting on what's coming next. And I get it. There's a lot of litigation that had to be uh, dealt with. Um, the location of this was highly contentious. And now that we're past that, now that we, we have that in the rearview mirror, let's get to work and let's yeah. put some some kind of money out there to this, whether it's, an act, like I say, a standalone stadium itself or it's uh, improving places like the Abraham Chavez or the, the convention center. So um, I don't know if they're going to end up putting money towards the Chavez and the convention center like I originally thought they were. That's a 40-year-old facility that also needs definite renovations, but... Remember, when this was voted through, it was voted as a multi-purpose performing arts and cultural center. That's not necessarily the convention center and right. also the Abraham Chavez. So, you know, that multi-purpose is what it put what what makes you wonder, you know, does this go someplace else and if it does, and here's the other question. If they decide to find a spot for it and they have to put it back on the ballot to raise more money, what is and and yet the spot is agreed to. There's no disputing it. It's just a matter of getting it voted through. Do you think El Pasoans voted down this time? I think I think so. I honestly do. I, I feel like in the wake of what has and and where people are trending voting wise here in El Paso mm-hmm. and what they voted yes or no on in recent uh, ballots. Let's just I'll put it you know very general and say it like that. I think they wouldn't. I think they'd shoot this down. Unfortunately, Steve. I think the. Uh, all the talk, all the waiting, all the promises that just never uh, came to fruition with all this, it makes me think a little down toward uh, you know whether or not the, the uh, city of El Paso would actually vote something like this through. So I feel like a lot of our listeners said some people felt relief that Doranguito was finally over with. It's almost like they're so exhausted and worn out from the battle over the last four or five years. They're just they're tired of hearing about it. They're just they're done. Yeah, I feel I felt done. I mean, I felt like even you know Max Grossman. I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but he's probably so far done with this. You, you know, you you can't even imagine. But for somebody like him, yes, he can uh, rally around a, a a small victory here, knowing that Duranguito is preserved and those cultural, you know, the people who wanted to uh, preserve Duranguito in the historical realm, they're probably excited. And now everybody else can move on with this whole um, this whole I guess process. And now we can finally see what's next for a possible stadium. Now, my question is, how much can you make 150 plus million stretch for a stadium uh, that could be built downtown? That's not a lot of money for uh, something that is uh, definitely a tall task. And that's the issue, too. Okay, so the model that everybody loves is what Austin just did. Austin cost 360, which is cheap. That's about almost 200 million less than what Fort Worth paid for Dickey's Arena. I don't understand how Austin got that thing built for so much less than Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, especially knowing that they had uh, to demolish a couple things in that area, too. It's not like they were going uh, above a land that was not occupied right there. And you can't tell me that property value in Austin is less than Fort Worth, Texas. Please, oh, yeah, Austin, some downtown Austin, some of the hottest stuff around, especially around the campus area. So I don't know how they did it. That, to me, is a 
it's it's brilliant because everybody that's been inside uh you know the the Moody Center said it's it's incredible right now it's unbelievable yeah and if it's something like that that El Paso is hoping to model it off of they might just have to look at a reduced amount of seats and that might not be a bad thing for El Paso right I mean you look at the attendance numbers in all of sports you look at just attendance numbers and things like concerts and and other events and entertainment uh you know happenings here in this city you have to make sure that you build something that people will actually fill on a night in night out basis. So if you so if, what are we talking about? Are we talking about basically a, a new coliseum? Is that the idea? Maybe 5 6000 fans? I think that 5 6000 is probably the right number, right? Because if you're get if you're averaging that right there, you know, um, maybe a little bit less for things like El Paso Chihuahua's games or your bigger weekend games, if you're averaging about 10,000 we- uh, weekly for UTEP football and uh, you're averaging right around 5,000 for UTEP men's basketball. I think five to 6,000 makes sense for something downtown. So here's my next question, okay? Say you build it 8 to 10, right? Between 8 and 10. You just you figure out a way to do it and you do it. 8 to 10,000 fans, okay? Do you think there's any chance whatsoever that the city can work a deal with UTEP to make UTEP their anchor tenant for UTEP men's and women's basketball? Yeah, it's a really interesting thought. Um, other, obviously, the the, the most uh, popular one who does something like this is Kansas, right? That they're probably the Kansas Jayhawks who uh, have two separate arenas. They've got T-Mobile and then Allen Fieldhouse. Yep. They they share that T-Mobile arena that they go to often with the city. That's probably your most notable uh, one. But I mean, you're talking about Kansas basketball versus UTEP basketball. I don't know if the draw or the appeal is that high. I'm with you on that one. But haven't we seen from the Chihuahuas that when El Paso gets a shiny new toy, everybody wants to go? Yes, definitely. And uh, credit to the Chihuahuas. They do something every year to get people out there year after year despite the you know, AAA product. Yeah. No one cares about AAA or not. They, it could be Major League Baseball. People will still go out there to support the El Paso Chihuahuas because of how they re- reinvent their product year after year. And if you're going to spend a couple of hundred million dollars on an arena in El Paso in downtown and put it someplace else, are you possibly going to build something that could not hold enough for an NCAA tournament regional? Yeah, I feel like you have to be forward thinking about this. Not even just NCAA tournament; it, it could be concerts, and yep. then finally being over the ca- the number, the threshold number, to where you can have some of these bigger concerts and bring people to downtown El Paso. So the other question is: Could you get enough private funding that the private investors go? And they take what currently has already been passed and they add to it to make it the kind of arena that they envisioned and so many others envisioned. Ah, I like where you're thinking on this one, Steve, because if you're having to go with a private investor route, you're not having to throw it to taxpayers. You're not having to worry about them to vote something through. And you can have the bigwigs here in the city go out and fund something like this, which they definitely could. They've got the pockets to do that. What if Mountain Star says, you know what, we'll take the 180 that El Pasoans voted, we'll double that, and now all of a sudden we'll spend $360 million on a new 12,000 seat, uh, you know, state of the art arena. So, to that, I'd say, Welcome home, Locomotive FC. You finally have a place, or, you know, yeah. whatever. It could be them. It could be the next team that comes here in the city. You never know. All right. Uh, 32 past the hour as we continue. Let's get to one last Sports Center update. Here he is, Adrian Broaddus, with the latest as we continue. I'm Adrian Broaddus. Adrian, thank you very much. 
Noah, one of our favorites on Twitter, at the Noah underscore G, tweets the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. I would love to see the Jim Forbes Classic and the Sun Bowl Invitational at the arena. And it's important to note that the Phoenix Suns do not currently have a G League team. I like it. I like where Noah's going with this on uh, on this one. They and don't, hey, by the way. He's right. Hey, I, I also love the fact that we're very close to Phoenix. And if you're an NBA League Pass subscriber like me, sometimes you're not able to watch Phoenix games because of blackout restrictions here in El Paso, Texas. Ah, look at you. You're coming up with something, aren't you? You're putting this together. Has Phoenix ever had a G League team? Good question. I have no clue on this. I, I, I have no clue if whether or not they've had one. I'm doing a quick search. I see uh, the Northern Arizona Suns, the Motor City Cruise. Maybe that's something. I, I'm not sure. Uh, where was that? Uh, I'm seeing, okay, Motor City Cruise. I'm seeing that one's actually now affiliated with uh, Detroit, the Pistons. So makes a lot of sense. Okay. That's interesting. I'm looking uh, also to try to find out to see if they've ever had a, a G League affiliate. They must have years ago, right? You got to figure they've, they've they can't. I mean, how does? Here's another question, okay? How does Tucson not play in the G League? So you would think that if Tucson is an hour and twenty minutes away from Phoenix, the and and the and you already have the McHale Center, the easy answer would be, you know put a G League team there for Phoenix and they don't have one yeah good point so I'm looking at this right now it looks like the Northern Arizona Suns are still active Steve um I don't know I, I'm looking at their record right now they're eight and 34 one of the worst teams as part of the G League uh they are 13th in the Western Conference and fifth in the Pacific Division I, I'm I look at this right now and it looks like pretty uh pretty um i guess kind of up to date but i'm not sure if this is like uh maybe 2020 or 2021 but at least at some point uh the official nba g league team of the phoenix suns was northern arizona suns okay they're not around anymore i think they collapsed so okay, okay. was that what if that was in was i wonder if that was that a team that was in uh, flagstaff yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm trying to find out more information on this, and it seems like there's not a lot of information on G League teams. I, I don't know if that's a product of just the G League itself not being that big, but uh, not finding a lot on Northern okay. Arizona. So the Northern Arizona Suns um, then became the Motor City Cruise. That is interesting. So the Motor City Cruise is now based in Detroit, and apparently... That was the Northern Arizona Suns. I see. So now um, they played in Prescott Valley, Arizona. 2016 is when they started. And then 2021, the team relocated to Detroit. They were pur- purchased by the Pistons. So wow. now I guess this this means that you don't necessarily have to have a G League affiliate. I can't believe Prescott Valley had a team. That's more shocking to me. You know, I thought. Um, I've never been to Prescott Valley. My wife lived there for a while. Oh, really? Yeah. So in Prescott, Arizona, I think there's Prescott and Prescott Valley. I'm shocked. But, hey, you learn something new every day. Point is, Phoenix is only a six-hour drive, and they don't have a team. That's right. And and you're uh, you're exactly right to point out Tucson, too. It's kind of weird that it they're the weird. team that uh, – they're the city that doesn't have one. Uh, Scottsdale is also a perfect place. You could put it in Glendale uh, or put it in El Paso, Texas, six hours away. La Casa Grande. Yeah, I like that. The, you could do that. You know what else is weird, though, about the G League? They don't draw fans. Like no they, one. They, they average a they average somewhere between five hundred and about twenty five hundred fans a game, depending on where, what arena you're talking about. Nobody supports the G League. 
I feel like you, if El Paso ever had a G League team, they would skyrocket to the top by default of a, for attendance. At least because, the first few years, yeah. Yeah, the first few years for sure. And it's it's a product of uh, no one really, I guess, being a fan of the G League. I, I don't understand what's what's wrong. What's the drop off? I don't either. I don't either. So I've all I know is that when arena supporters had said, "Well, you can have an anchor tenant; it'd be a G League team." Thinking, yeah, but if you have a G League team playing in a ten to fifteen thousand seat arena, you're going to have to curtain off two thirds of it, if not more. Otherwise, you're going to have an empty arena for these games. And that's why minor league baseball makes so much more sense as a product for fans because minor league baseball has been around forever. It's an established product, and fans have been going to minor league baseball games for years and years. You're not introducing something new to them like the G League. That's true. Although I bet you if we had a G League team, Zay would be all over it. You know, you know UTEP Zay would probably be credentialed, covering them, giving us all the latest uh, G League news and notes. Uh, for for 600 ESPN El Paso. Oh, that's the dream right there. I, I'm immediately a Suns fan now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen to you. The dream is to cover a G League team? <laughs> of course. I mean, who who wouldn't want to? Would you just rename yourself like uh, G League Zay? Yeah. Sorry, UTEP. Yeah, you exactly. You just, you just switch it out and be G League Zay. I like that. But then how cool would it be if you gave us like G League rumors? Yeah, he's like the go-to guy for all the G League stuff. He's, I like yeah, it. Zay becomes the Woj of the G League. <laughs> That's just like that. That's all Boom. we need. There it is right there. Hey, we got a Zay bomb, everybody. We got another Zay bomb coming out today. Yes, I I can kind of see like a lightning bolt coming out of that one. Like the Woj bomb explodes, but Mm. the Zay bomb is like a lightning bolt. I like that. I think that's that's good. Uh, Do you like Zay bomb or would you like to come up with your own, uh, own moniker and your own name? What do you think? I gotta think about that one. Yeah, please. I got I got some time, don't I? Spend time during the break. Let me know what you come up with. Okay, we'll do it. Uh, we got twenty minutes left to go in the show. We'll put a bow on this one and wrap up the week. Stay with us, folks. Don't forget Monday we've got coverage of the college football championship game. Brought to you by Palo Verde Homes and also by Wind Supply El Paso. It's coming up here. Our coverage starts at five o'clock. Six hundred ESPN El Paso.